I want to open our time this morning and share with you a story uh, from my early days. My very first church that I served in was Heritage Park Baptist Church in Webster, Texas, uh, right there on Nass Road 1. And for some crazy reason, um, these people hired me to be their youth pastor, which was weird because I didn't grow up in church and I had never been in a youth group. So kind of a strange thing, um, but uh, they did and, and um, bless their heart, uh, it, it was amazing. The kids were awesome. Um, we, 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 we laughed, we cried along the way. I hope to think that I taught them a little something about Jesus, but, uh, but I loved it. Now, some people that do youth ministry see it as it was just a stepping stone. I had to do that so that I could do this other thing. That wasn't the case for me. I loved youth ministry. I thought I was going to do it my whole life. Um, I, I adored my time. And one of the things that I loved is that youth are so moldable. Um, they are so responsive. They're so open um, to, to, to God. And, and, and you know, if you, you preach to youth about the need to repent, man, the altar is going to be filled. They're going to be crying and weeping and repenting. Now, it may not stick for the whole week, but it happens, man. It's it just so immediate. And, uh, and, and I just absolutely love that about them. I also loved, um, when you're doing youth ministry, there's a freedom that you don't necessarily have in, in a big church setting, okay? Uh, there, you, you can teach in different ways, you can have different methods, you can try new things, and that's kind of the story I want to share with you this morning. So I was working through John chapter 13 with my students. In John chapter 13, Jesus is washing his disciples' feet, and I had been praying through that passage, and I'd been studying that passage, and I was walking through it, and as I was studying it that week, preparing for our, our midweek service, our Wednesday night service, th- this one um, thought came to mind. It was really a question, and the question was, how on earth could I make my students understand what the disciples felt that night? As Jesus is washing their feet, as he's preparing them for his departure, was there anything that I could do to help them experience and and, and feel what the disciples must have felt as, as the man that they have spent three years of their life, their life, not just moments, not just Sundays, not just Wednesdays, but every day of their life for three years is preparing to leave them. Like, like what did that room feel like? And that's when it came to me. It was the most awesome and, and the most diabolical plan I've ever had in all of ministry. And, uh, and so what I did is I told the kids, and now I've been with them a couple of years already, I told the kids, listen, I want you to show up for service, and I, I've, got, I've, got, I've got a big announcement that I need to make to you. And so they come, and they're like, what's going on? What is this big announcement? And uh, as they show up, the room is, uh, all the chairs are removed, I think there's candles lit, and uh, kind of soft music playing, and, and so they come in, and now I want to be honest with you, I never told the kids I was leaving, because I wasn't leaving, I didn't say that, but I may have made a few blanket statements, um, general truths that may have made them think that I might be leaving, I, I wrote down a few of those, like I, I may have said, I just want you guys to know, I am so grateful for the time that I've had with each of you, I may have said, I want you to know you guys have meant the world to me. I may have said, I want you to know this has honestly been one of the greatest blessings of my life, spending this time with you. All those things were true. All those things were true. You see where I'm headed, right? I mean, these are absolutely true statements, but I knew in their mind what they were going to be thinking, okay? And so I continued. I said, you know, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he had kind of a final act with his followers, and, and, and the Bible says that this act, in this act, he was showing them the full extent of his love, and he took off his outer garment and wrapped it around his waist, and then he got down on his hands and his knees, and he washed their feet. And I said, I, I want to um, show each of you 
the full extent of my love, how much you mean to me. And so in a room full of 40, 50 teenagers, I got down and washed every single pair of those stinky teenage feet. And as I did, now listen, by the way, cue the music as we transition. I had put together a playlist of the slowest, saddest worship music you could ever imagine. And as I washed each of their feet, I, I then looked them in the eye and I began to just speak life into them. I began to tell each of them individually, nothing was canned. I told each of them individually how much each of them meant to me, how they had impacted my life. And the tears just, they began to flow. There's not a dry eye in the room. Every youth is crying. I'm looking at them now. I'm crying. We're just all, we do the whole thing. We finish it all up. And then I stand up and I make the big announcement. And there's a big announcement. Oh my gosh, he's leaving me. I said, the big announcement is the Lord told me to do this so you could experience what it must have been like for the disciples. I'm not going anywhere. It's diabolical. It stuck with them. Stuck with them. This week in the story, the Apostle Paul is saying goodbye. And that's what we read. We read in his many letters what he was saying to the people that he loved, that he had written to, that he has served. And this week in the story, we pick up on that. And what he's doing is, is the same thing that Jesus was doing, the same thing that I was attempting to do that night in the room. He's expressing to people how much he loves them, and he's giving them one last lesson that they can cling to. That's what we find in, in those epistles. And so uh, my hope, my prayer this morning is that we might have our own kind of experience, maybe a reminder, maybe um, something gets our attention, grabs a hold of us and says, hey, don't forget... Don't forget, there's a purpose to why you're here. Okay, so join me in a word of prayer. Let's prepare our hearts um, for Paul's farewell. Father, and we love you. We trust you. We know that you're working for good. We have learned that over the last 30 weeks. Even when the world cannot see good, you are working for good. And so um, we know that you're working in us still to bring about good things. Holy Spirit, we want to come and invite you right now to come and take your place at our pulpit and to be the teacher of our church, to lead us and to guide us to lift up the name of Jesus. And Jesus, as you're lifted up, we pray that you would draw all of us closer to yourself, that we might be transformed into your image, not our own, that we might be your image bearers to a world that is lost and dying and in need of you. Please do these things. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, there's often a, a perspective change when somebody begins to get a little nearer the end. We see this in athletics, right? You, you, you're a great athlete, and near the end of his career, when things aren't going as well as they used to, and maybe he's no longer the starter, now he takes on the role of the backup, and, and now he's the mentor to the young quarterback, to the, to the next future generation. He begins to pour out wisdom and knowledge and insight. We see this in family life uh, sometimes with, with grandparents who, who move beyond just spoiling their grandchild and, and begin in 
intentionally pouring into their grandchild life lessons that they've learned, maybe teaching them a skill or a trade, how to work with wood, how to, how to use a compass, right? Things that maybe their parents wouldn't pour into them, their grandparents, kind of sensing that their time may be drawing to, to an end at some point. They begin um, putting in, and pouring into them. And, and in the epistles that Paul writes near the end of his life, we see the same thing. They are packed full of of life lessons, things that he has learned that he he is desperate to pass down to another generation. And this morning, I want to focus on just four of those lessons that that I believe were were clearly um, taught in the story this week. I'm going to call them, or I want you to think of them as uh, pieces of advice from Paul. Okay, Four pieces of advice from Paul. And here's the first piece of advice. Ready? Faithfulness is what matters most. Faithfulness is what matters most. I think that's the first piece of advice that Paul passes down in his letters, that that, that faithfulness is what matters most. I want you to write this question down. Ready? What have you done with what I've given you? Just write that question down. What have you done with what I've given you? I believe that's the question that is going to matter the most when it's, when it's all said and done. When we stand before God, I believe this is the question that he will ask of each of us. What have you done with the gift that I have given you in my son Jesus Christ? What have you done with that? I believe that he will stand before God and he'll ask, what have you done with the Holy Spirit that I have placed in, inside of you? What have you done with the Spirit? I believe that God will ask, what, what have you done with the breath that I have put in your lungs? What have you done with the hands that I've given you? What have you done with your feet? What have you done with your heart? What have you done with your health? What have you done with your wealth? What have you done with what I've given you? And listen, this question doesn't come down to stuff. This is a question that's not material in nature. This is a question that can't be answered by the houses that we've built or the wealth that we've stored up because the Bible says that all of those things will fade away. This is a question that is eternal in nature. It's a question that indeed is is divine in, in, in substance, right? So the question has to do, what have we done with the time here on earth that's been allotted to us? Have we invested it in the eternal? Have we been faithful? Have we been faithful? See, this is a huge theme of of Paul's life as as he neared the end of his days, as he was passing along most important lessons to Timothy, his beloved protege. And I want you to listen uh, to this, 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. He says this to his protege, who he loved like a son, Scripture says. He says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the, what? Faith. I've kept. That's what life was about for Paul, right? It it was this race of faith. He said, I've kept the faith. He encouraged his Timothy to do the same thing. In his first letter to Timothy, uh, I'm I'm in 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you want to follow along. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 11. He says this, he says, But you, man of God, speaking to his young protege, you need to flee from all of this and pursue righteousness and godliness, faith, Love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of 
the faith, he says. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords who alone is immortal and who lives an unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. Only Paul can write a a sentence like that. There's like 52 sentences in one sentence there. He says, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Now he goes on in his encouragement to Timothy. I'm in verse 17 now. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless uh, chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and in so doing, have wandered from... Guess what word it ends with there? Have wandered from the faith. Grace be with you. You see, Paul thought about life differently than most of us. For Paul, life came down to this one analogy. It was all a race of faith. And his goal, hear me, was was to finish this race well. To achieve the words that Jesus spoke of of in Matthew chapter 25, verse 23. When he says, well done, my good and faithful servant, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. This was the goal of Paul's life. Perhaps this is not spelled out for us better than it is in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, if you have time to turn there, if not, you can just jot down uh, where I am. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, starting in verse 24. I'm just going to read through 27. And, and I want you to hear how, how Paul explains this philosophy he has on life. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You see, Paul's whole life was about finishing well. My coaches would have told me uh, back in the day, when you ran a race, you didn't run to the finish line, you ran through the finish line. You're to set your sights on a goal that is beyond the finish line so that you don't tire and you don't grow weary and you don't let up in the last 10 meters of the race. You run through it. And that was Paul's aim in life, to be faithful, to run through the finish, not to limp across it. For Paul, life was not about being famous. It all came down to being faithful. That's the first piece of advice he gives us. Second piece of advice from Paul. Live to leave a legacy. Live 
to leave a legacy. Paul, perhaps, other than Jesus himself, was the best investor in the history of the world. I'm going to say that again. Paul, perhaps, other than Jesus, was the best investor in the history of the world. I'm not speaking financially. He was a tent maker that that just made meager means. Paul, in fact, would, would boast, like, I know what it is to be in want. Paul wasn't necessarily a rich man as we would think about richness. So when I say investing, I'm not talking about monetary investment. What I'm talking about is that Paul was a great investor in his determination to pour himself into other people. To pour himself into other people. And friends, we've been doing this for 30 weeks, by the way. And at this point, at 30 weeks into the story, if you haven't figured out that people are pretty important to God, then you may have missed a big chunk of this story. People are of great importance to God. To this point, we've covered these truths, right? That that God made people in his own image. In his own image, he created them. That he made people to be with him and to dwell with him, to live in fellowship with him, right? After sin sin entered the world, God still pursued the sinful people because he wanted a relationship with those people, right? After sin entered the world, God sent his own son to die for the sins of these people. People And to all people who would believe in his son Jesus, he's given the right to become sons and daughters of God. He has sent his spirit even to live inside of people. And now his plan is to use these new people to reach all the other people with the good news that through Jesus, God is reconciling people to himself. The story's about people. It's about God's love for people. And in the history of mankind, apart from Jesus, I don't know that there was another soul that got it more than Paul as he spent his life pouring himself into other people. So because people are so important to God, they must be important to us. Our lives must revolve around the heart and the mission of God, which is about loving and saving people. It is a life of intentionality. It's not a life that you happen into. It is a life of purpose, where you set before yourself a mission. It is a life that will cause you to die to your own desires and and moments of fleeting entertainment for the sake of others. It is a life that will call you to let go of things that you want because you want to provide for things that people need. It is a a life that will call you to get out of your comfort zone and get out of the boat and to walk into the waves of the unknown where people can be rough to deal with, but they're worth it. And here's what I would submit to you. Next to Jesus, I don't know that anyone did it better than Paul. We read, um, we read these words last week, but I'll read them again. Second Corinthians chapter 11. This is Paul's heart for people. He says, besides everything else, remember he talked about all the hardships he endured. He says, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Are churches structures? No. So let's read that again. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the people. Wow. Wow. 
Paul lived a life of constant concern for people in the midst of his own personal struggles. He poured into them, pouring out himself. And that's what his 13 letters are about. Leaving something behind that was bigger than himself. Encouraging on the next generation that will follow in his footsteps. Encouraging them to finish well. And I just wonder, who are we pouring ourselves into? Who are we pouring ourselves out for? We've got to live to leave a legacy. Okay, number three. Third piece of advice from Paul. Ready? Allow your experiences to increase your trust in God. Allow your experiences to increase your trust in God. There's a fear in many churches today to talk about experiences at all. Um, Some people, they they want to avoid any kind of experiential faith because there is a group of people that have been so focused on experience that they've wandered away from the truth of Scripture and and that becomes heretical teaching, okay? And, And I want you to hear that is a grave sin. But I believe it is equally a grave mistake to not talk about experience at all. Because God is real, and he works in a real world in the lives of real people. And we experience his goodness, and we experience his grace, and we experience his peace, and we experience his joy in the midst of suffering. And and so to ignore experience and, and the moments when God speaks to us and works in us in the midst of our world that seems to be falling apart, I think is futile. We can't just talk about Scripture and not about experience at all. Paul was never afraid to boast about his experiences with God. He he was never afraid to talk about the good and, and the bad and the ugly. He spoke of the best moments of ministry and of the great trials of life. And here's his conclusion. Turn with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, is, 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 is Paul's nearing the end now. He's writing to Timothy, you need to come and see me. I don't have much longer. I want you to hear the conclusion of all of this for him. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 11, he says, And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Get this next statement, it's huge. He says, yet... I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard which I have entrusted to him for that day. Because I know whom I have believed. I'm not ashamed of my life. I'm not ashamed of dying in prison. I'm not ashamed of how my story ends because I know whom I have believed in. I think it's curious he doesn't say, I think everything is going to be okay. He didn't say that. He says, I know whom I have believed. Not, not, a, not, a, not, not, not the Bible says Jesus will. He says, no, I know whom I have believed. I know the word in Greek, not, not just the word no, but, but the, the tense in this, in this word no is the perfect tense in Greek. It refers to an action that has been completed once and for all and does not need to be repeated. Paul says, this, this has been cemented for me. Life and everything that has thrown my way has cemented who God is for me. I know that I know that I know 
It, it, it is solid and secure for me. I know whom I have believed in. And I am persuaded that he is able. That's huge. The hardships of life only cemented this truth of God. And I think that's why when Paul writes letters, man, hear me, he writes to people in some really hard places. The people that would follow uh, Jesus, the people that would listen and heed to Paul's teachings were being persecuted harshly uh, in the early church. And it's interesting when Paul writes them, do you know that I haven't found it, maybe you haven't, if you find it, God bless you for it. I haven't, I haven't found it in studying his epistles. I don't find that Paul prays that they would be removed from their hardships. Isn't that interesting? When he writes the church of Ephesus, who's, who's enduring persecution, that he doesn't pray, dear God, remove them from their persecution? He doesn't pray, dear God, would you cease this? Would you make it easier? You want to know what Paul prays? For the church in Ephesus, I'll put it on the screen for you. Ephesians 1, 17. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, ready, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. He doesn't pray that the situation will get better. He prays, through this, you will know who God is. That's my heart for you. That's my prayer for you. Because that's what God has done for me. I didn't get out of every pit in life. Every struggle and and every highway didn't suddenly become low. Every low place didn't suddenly rise up. I endured hardship for the sake of Jesus. But you know what? Through it, I knew him more than anyone else I've ever known. And I know that he is able. And I know that he is sure. And I know that he is right. And I know that he is good. And I know that he is loved. And my prayer for you, my friend, is not that life will be easy but that you will know God more. Wow. How does that change our prayer life, friend? As we pray for people going through, Lord, I just pray you would cease this struggle. I pray that they could get out of this. I pray that you would remove them. I pray that you would release them. I pray, maybe our prayer life needs to be, God, I pray that through this, they would come to know you more. Please be glorified. In this, even in this. Allow your experiences to increase your trust in God. Number four. Last piece of advice from Paul. Stay focused on what's important. Stay focused on what's important. Anybody ever watch a horse race? Anybody? I mean, I think there's one a year on TV, maybe the Kentucky Derby occasionally, and it's because there is nothing else on television. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's not, there's not even like a triple A AAA baseball game on TV. I mean, there's no, field hockey is not on that day. I mean, they have eliminated all of the sports, so you have to watch the horse racing. I mean, that's the way it is. Big, beautiful animals, don't get me wrong. They put them in their stalls. What, what's, on, what's, on their, what's on their head? What do they have? Blinders. Why? Because they've got to see straight ahead. Because they've got to focus. Because if the animal doesn't focus, it's going to be a free-for-all. Run into each other. It won't be a race. Christians, why are we any different? Why do we walk around in the world thinking that we are any different? Thinking that we don't need blinders. Thinking that we can take in everything that there is. And life will be okay. And when it's all said and done, we'll be found faithful. We'll finish well when we spend all our days running about this way and that way and this way. No, back this way. And God says, I've, I've got a finish line, but it's that way. It's not this way. 
And it's not that way. And it's not this way. It's that way. Paul would instruct us we need to stay focused on what is important. Another way to say this is to keep the main thing the main thing. I want you to listen again to what Paul says to Timothy. This is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. He says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Yikes, Timothy. Paul's going, hey, Tim, listen, man. Life's going to come up against you, and and things are going to beset you, and it's going to pull and tug at your affections and at your time and your resources. But, Tim, don't forget, man, My son, don't you forget, there is one captain, okay? There's one captain, there's one commanding officer, Timothy, and his name is Jesus. And do not get caught up in the affairs of the world, Timothy, for those affairs are always going to be there. For those things are always going to be there. You need to focus on this. You need to focus on the gospel. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer, Timothy, stay focused. You're a soldier of Jesus Christ. Don't get caught up in worldly matters. And man, I want to tell you, this is one of the enemy's greatest schemes. You've heard the phrase before, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy, right? Right? So this week I just had this thought. I wanted to to use the Google, right? Some of you, you're still calling it the Google. That's fine. You'll get to know it soon. Uh, You can say, even now, if you have an iPhone, you guys can push that button and say, hey, Siri, It'll give you the Google. It's pretty impressive. And so I just Googled this week. I just said, uh, hey, what, what are the most important causes in the world? My, that was my, my search. What are most important causes? And the result that came up were, were top 100 charities. So I, I just wrote down a few. These are things that we can give ourselves to. We can give our, our time and our affection and our resources, our, our money. We can, we can give ourselves away to, to, these, to these causes, right? Like, like fighting hunger. It's a pretty big deal. People in the world are dying because they don't have basic provisions. We can, we can, we can go headlong into the fight for, for hunger and make sure that people have food. We can do that. At very high on, on this list was, was heart disease, we can, we can give ourselves away to, to talking about the need for statins or lack of statins or eating better, or stop frying things. Or, or, I mean, we, can, we, be, we can become about this. Like, let's, let's, let's get rid of all GMOs. Let's, I mean, we can petition our government. We, we can be these people. We absolutely can be. Fourth-rated charity on the list had to do with kidneys. I had no idea. Fourth-rated deal. Like, is that that big of a... Evidently, your kidneys are really important, man. And so you give yourself away to the care of kidneys and making sure that people keep their kidneys healthy and there's kidneys to go around to people that need kidneys or dialysis. I, I don't know. There's something. Dialysis are for kidneys, right? Okay, just making sure, right? So, I, so it's not number four on the list. We could give our, our time and our affection, our energy, our resources to, to, to caring for refugees. That's high on the list there. Caring, caring about people that are, are fleeing from genocide in their own countries. That's important, right? We could give ourselves away to animal welfare, Right to caring for, for animals, these poor little abused animals and all the cats that have to have a place to go and run and eat and share their fleas around here. I mean, whatever we got to do, we got to be about those cats, by golly. Got to be about these dogs, man. We could, we could give ourselves away to supporting the arts, whatever that means now. 
right? Um, from, from twirling ribbons to painting to, to, to music. And, and, and I mean, arts are beautiful. They make us feel and, and in touch with, with how creative God is. And, and so we could give ourselves away to that. We could, we could uh, if we're not into the arts, we could be into arthritis. That's high on the list. I think it was number eight. Right? To make sure that, that people don't have, have pain later in life as they, they try to type and, and do life because they had such a hard life before. We could really care and give ourselves towards arthritis research. Then we've got education, right? I, I mean, it, that's pretty important. <laughs> everybody's got to have an education. Now, we should even give our time and energy and effort making sure that it's universal and that everybody has, has access to free education even though we all paid for it. I mean, it's fine. We just, we just, we got to do that. Maybe, maybe it's, it's, it's cancer. That was, that, was, that was on the list. Believe it. That was actually below education. I couldn't believe it. Uh, or, or, or maybe it's just science in general. And, and I'm going to tell you, there's hundreds of other things that I could have put on this list for you this morning. But you know what Paul says? He says a soldier of Christ has got to focus on the real battle before him. He's got to stay focused on what's important. Eternity hangs in the balance. You see, I wrote this down this morning. Uh, wee hours before the sun was up. People can eat and get their fill and still go to hell. They can have less heart attacks and still die hard-hearted. They can be saved from genocide and their homeland, but not be saved from the power of sin and death because they've never heard the gospel. They could receive the best education in the world and still be uneducated in the ways of God. They could make sure that every dog goes to heaven and miss out on it themselves. Paul says to Timothy, a soldier has got to focus on the real battle. And guys, I, I love you. I'm, I'm not saying that any of those causes are bad. But by golly, they better be secondary. You hear me? I'm not saying that they're bad. I'm just saying they better be secondary, at least. Because we have been given a mission. And that mission is of greatest importance of Everything there is in the world. That, that, that mission doesn't have to do with anything temporary, but it, it deals in the eternal. Now, to get to the eternal, sometimes we have to minister in the temporary. Amen? But if we lose our focus and just focus on the temporary, and we never deal with the eternal, we're like the horse without blinders. The gates are open, and it is not a race at all. And I'm here to tell you, we're not going to finish well that way. So what do we do with all that? I want to help you pack it up, okay? And this week is a little different. I, I, we've done this a few times here through the story. Is I just want to give you some questions to reflect on this week. Felt like this was a better than... It, the whole message is about application, right? Every one of those is something we should be doing. So, so I don't need to go, hey, go do this. You've got those in the first four points. So I want to give you some questions to think about, and then I'm going to let you out of here. And here's the first question I want you to try to answer this week, ready? Is am I being faithful with what God has given me? Am I being faithful with what God has given me? Now, notice I actually printed out that question for you on the back of the sermon notes. You don't have to write anything down other than your answer. That's what the blank is for, is for your answer. 
Am I being faithful with what God has given me? Am I being faithful with the salvation that I've received? Am I being faithful with the Holy Spirit who's dwelling inside of me? Am I being faithful, ready, with my spouse that God has given me, the gift that God has given me? Am I being faithful with my kids, with my hands, with my feet, with my heart, with my health, with my wealth? Am I being faithful with all that God has given me? You've got to answer that question. You can't ignore it. You can't ignore it. You can't put it off. You can't say next week. You've got to answer that question. We've got to take inventory, okay? Second question, ready? Who am I investing in? Who am I investing in? We, we, we have this bad habit in the church of saying everybody needs a Timothy. We act like Paul only invested in Timothy. Are you kidding me? Paul invested in every church that he started. He invested in churches that he didn't start. He poured himself out as a drink offering to all people that would believe and to all people that didn't believe. He poured himself out as a drink offering to the people that stoned him for crying out. Right? I mean, I mean so we, we can't just think, like, oh, get yourself a Timothy. As long as you've got one person, that's wrong. Don't find just one person to pour your life into, but God, go out and pour your life into all people. That's it. People matter to God. That's the deal. And so if you live in isolation, if you're one of those people, I'm just not a people person. I don't know. That's kind of difficult. Does that mean you're not a God person? We're going to have a whole series on spiritual disciplines coming up this summer. And one of those disciplines we're going to talk about is the discipline of community. Because I believe wholeheartedly that is a discipline. There are some people that do not enjoy community. They don't like people. And guess what? Because God likes people, you have to be with people. <laughs> it's kind of a requirement. And so it's a discipline. It's just one of the, and, and guess what? Some of the best blessings in life that you're going to experience are going to come through people. But you've got to put yourself in, 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 that, in that place so that God can pour out that blessing. And so uh, who am I investing in? Ready? Um, what, what legacy am I leaving behind? This is under that second question. Do I need to make any changes? Do I need to make any changes? That's a tough question, okay? Last question. Last question. What am I fighting for? What am I fighting for, right? Where is my focus? Am I focused on the main thing or on some other thing? Am I focused on the main thing or on some other thing? My hope, my prayer is that we would all... uh, heed the words of Paul, and that we would focus on finishing the race well. Not limping across the line, but setting our sights beyond the line and finishing the race well. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Um, We pray that it would be effective um, in speaking to the depths of our heart and penetrating through even the sin that we see there. We ask that you would move and do what only you can in us this week as we prepare ourselves to leave this place. We love you. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen.